Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Many of us know the familiar names of disaster response like the American Red Cross, FEMA, or the National Guard. But what about Walmart? Walmart? Today we welcome Lucas McDonald, Director of the Emergency Operations Center for Walmart, who has played key roles in organizing the company's disaster relief efforts for more than a decade. We'll get an inside look at how they help prepare communities for impending disasters and how their disaster response teams spring into action to help those in need after the storm. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with Lucas McDonald. Thank you for joining us today on the Weather Geeks podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is so awesome. And I think it's a timely discussion, too, because we just as we uh, come off the weekend prior to this taping saw Hurricane Barry. So before I kind of get into who you are, tell us a little bit about what Walmart was doing in preparation for Barry. Yeah, you know, we're we're like everybody else. We're looking at every model run, every tropical wave, um, trying to figure out what possibly could be a problem. And, uh, you know, I think we all started, saw Barry early on and wondered or saw the ECMWF and, and wondered if it was really going to happen. Um, and from our experience, it, at some point, it doesn't really matter if it's going to happen or not. It it's matters that the customer thinks it's going to happen. And so um, we jumped in, started shipping bottled water down to the south and uh, did our best to prepare for what would be kind of a relatively short notice hurricane um, or what we thought could be a short notice hurricane. And, uh, you know, thankfully for Barry, we didn't have a lot of widespread power outages, um, didn't have a lot of widespread damage to our stores, um, but we were able to support the community for a, a quick response. Yeah, it was a really strange storm, too. I know you have a, a background in meteorology, so you probably concur. I mean, some of the models were sniffing this thing out many, many days in advance. But then as we got closer to the event, just kind of stalled out there in the Gulf of Mexico, was sheared, very dry air on the north side. So most of the convection uh, was on the south side of the storm. Yet the model still had, at least early on, painting out very dire rainfall and flooding scenarios in parts of the Southeast Louisiana. Um, would, would you agree that that didn't quite pan out, but there certainly were some impacts to the society there? Oh, absolutely. And, and to be very transparent, um, I experienced Barry from a cruise ship in the Gulf of Mexico as I poorly uh, timed my vacation. Uh, and so I was uh, in the in the Gulf being uh, rocked pretty good by well, waves as the team here back in Bentonville was responding to Barry. Well, so tell us a little bit about what that was like. Uh, you know, it was a fascinating um, opportunity to be able to see uh, a different company and how they communicate to, you know, their customers in a different way. You know, if you're on a cruise ship, most of the time you want to disconnect from the world and, and really kind of just, you know, have a break. Uh, for me, that's not me. I, I'm too much of a, of a weather um, enthusiast and, and very passionate about it. So I'm, I'm looking at every model run and watching it and, and gearing the family up for um, – what I thought was going to be a pretty bad day of seasickness. Thankfully, we were prepared. Um, you know, the cruise company, I think, probably communicated to the people in the way they wanted to. Um, but on the other hand, you had people 
uh, many from Louisiana because the, the boat was out of New Orleans. So you had a lot of people worried about their homes and their businesses as they were on vacation as well. Yeah, you you can go ahead and say it. We're all weather geeks. I'm the same way. When I'm on vacation or when I'm somewhere, I never completely unplug from my, my apps and my radar apps. So I completely relate to what you're saying. Let me go ahead now and set the stage for uh, Lucas McDonald, who's the director of Emergency Operations Center for Walmart. Uh, Lucas has been with Walmart in the uh, Emergency Operations Center for 12 years. He's based in Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, he became director of Emergency Operations in January 2017. Prior to his time at at Walmart, he was a morning weather anchor at KSN 16 in Joplin, Missouri. Joplin certainly uh, has uh, um, a role in people's minds if you're a weather enthusiast or a professional in our field because of the Joplin tornado. And prior to that, he spent some time in St. Joseph, Missouri as a weather anchor and co-host at KQTV. So uh, someone that's very experienced in the world of meteorology and weather, but also interestingly working for one of the most iconic American companies in the world. Uh, talk about your journey. How, how did you go from weather anchor to Walmart? Yeah, you know, my life is a, a series of mistakes that have led to one blessing after another. Um, you know, as a kid, uh, weather was a passion. I-, I wanted to be able to predict my own snow days. Um, and we lived out in the woods a little bit and didn't have weather channel. So I'd call my grandfather who lived in town and had, had weather channel and be able to, to ask him, you know, what, the, what the weather channel is saying about our chances of snow. Um, as I got a little bit older, I kept that passion uh, for weather, um, had an opportunity to visit, uh, KSDK in St. Louis, the NBC station just out of high school, Paul Goodlow. Uh, was the was one of the meteorologists there uh, at the time and spent a lot of time with me uh, one afternoon. And after that, I was hooked. I wanted to tell the weather story. That's what I wanted to do when I grew up. And that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. And so tell us more about what you did to execute that. What's your background? What's your training? Because, I mean, it's very unique in that you obviously have some weather experience now, but you're working in a corporate setting. You're doing emergency preparedness and response, which requires a lot of different type of background, which I want to get into. But sort of what was your next step once you figured out uh, after interacting with our good friend Paul Goodlow that you wanted to do this? Yeah, so I studied meteorology at St. Louis U. Now, to be very transparent, I never use the term meteorologist because um, I didn't find Diffie Q and the other math as fun as others did. <laughs> oh, well, who does? <laughs> right? So I broke into the um, the very lucrative world of weekend weather. Um, I moved out to, to St. Joe um, and uh, had a great time there and got a job. Frankly, I got a job rolling teleprompter at four in the morning uh, for the morning show, um, making very little money, um, getting up really early. Um, but I, I did that as a way to get myself into the studio. Um, and from there, I, I bugged the heck out of the chief meteorologist, Mike Brasiano there at KQ2, um, and convinced him that I could, I could do that. Uh, I'm not sure that he believed that I could do TV weather, but he really wanted the holidays off. And uh, so he let me work a couple of holidays, and from there it landed to a permanent role, um, which led to my, my short stint, my six-year stint in TV weather. Well, I think that's an interesting conversation because as you and I both know, uh, meteorology is a very quantitative science, a lot of partial differential equations and physics and thermodynamics uh, because the atmosphere is a fluid and we have to yep. kind of understand it. Uh, but I think you illustrate that uh, there are many pathways into the field of uh, weather and meteorology in terms of working in our field. So uh, I, I want to say kudos to you for sort of finding a way to still sort of realize your, your dream and passion. Now talk to me about 
sort of the transition? How did the opportunity with Walmart present itself? Yeah, so I was working in Joplin uh, at KSN TV at the time and did a sweeps package um, on um, emergency management and, and things to do and not to do during severe weather. So one day we went out and, and talked about the dangers of, of taking cover under an overpass. And another day we talked about, um, did a, a, just a very short story on how to turn your gas line off if your home is hit by a tornado. Um, and so I found that really interesting, the emergency management piece of it. Um, and at the time, I, I had a connection um, with somebody that worked here at Walmart and, and took an opportunity to tour their emergency operations center. And uh, doing that, I was fascinated by it. There were um, some of the other factors in life going on at the time. We were part of a small church plant uh, here in Northwest Arkansas. And so I uh, moved down here, um, got, an, got a, a job at the Walmart Emergency Operations Center as an EOC coordinator. Um, and that was, uh, as you said, 12 years ago. Uh, and continued to work in the same department, different roles. I've been uh, lucky enough to be promoted a few times. And uh, it, I'm still, what I'm still doing is, is still talking about uh, impacts and, and danger and risk and, and communicating them to a, a very different audience. And so when you're doing TV weather, you're talking about what this means uh, to a viewer. Um, whenever you, you come to Walmart, you're talking about um, what does this mean to our logistics operation, which is different than our aviation operation, which is different than merchandising. And so you're telling the same weather story, but in different ways to different people. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you how you thought your your career in the TV world helped prepare you, but you, you did a nice job sort of putting that in context. I know one of our favorite guests and friends of the Weather Geeks TV show and podcast is uh, Craig Fugate, who was the former director of FEMA. So yep. uh, we we talk a lot of emergency preparedness and um, and and emergency management on this show because we think it's so important. Want to get your thoughts on that? In fact, because you know, you, as as someone that you know is in the weather world, you're very aware of all the technology we have, the, the new models and all the satellites and radar. But I have argued, and I want to see if you agree with me, that really one of the newest frontiers in terms of weather is our ability to communicate the message to people, whether it's your, your clients or the public, and communicating it in a way, a way that's effective. I mean, we can throw out our jargony meteorology terms like eyewall replacement cycles and particularly dangerous uh, situation tornadoes. But do those things resonate to the public? What are, what are your thoughts generally on how we communicate weather as a whole? Uh, well, first of all, I would never, I would never disagree with you. Uh, and you've opened up a lot there. Um, <laughs> Let's unpack it. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. Um, I think I think some meteorologists see social media as a problem, but I think it's really an opportunity. Um, and, and it's an opportunity that, that needs to be handled carefully. Um, it, it, being very honest, I, I think we, we are no longer reacting to the five-day National Hurricane Center outlook or, or to their um, five-day forecast. We are reacting to the ECMWF being posted online eight to 10 days out. And that's when our customers are, are going and preparing and buying water. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. They may be reacting to some, some model data that's not verified by a meteorologist, but at least they're taking that preparedness action. Uh, so there's a lot there that can be done in the right way. Um, it's just kind of as, as a customer, how do you manage through what is, what is good social media and what is bad social media? Uh, and, and the same thing, it's not just social media, but having the having your, your smartphone in your pocket. Um, if you can figure out Snapchat, you can figure out how to go download an app that, that alerts you of, of tornado warnings. And so I think there's so much more 
um, at our disposal now than there was even 10 or 15 years ago. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm talking with Lucas McDonald, who's the director of the Emergency Operations Center for Walmart. And yes, Walmart. Uh, I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard. Let me talk a little bit about what Walmart has responded to. I think when people think of Walmart, they may think about their weekly shopping trip or running down to the Walmart to get batteries or whatever it is they need. But Walmart and its EOC have responded to numerous disasters here domestically, Hurricane Katrina, Matthew, Irma, Harvey, but they don't just stick to the domestic uh, world. Internationally, they've responded to mudslides in Guatemala, tornadoes in China, floods in Argentina. That's a pretty impressive range and, and breadth of, of response. Uh, has Walmart always had this EOC function? And how do you determine who do you respond to or what, what events you respond to? Yeah, so so great, great question. And, and there's always been some sort of, of wanting and desire to, to help respond. There's a, a classic story about, um, we call Mr. Sam, but Sam Walton, uh, flying over an area that had been hit by a tornado um, and him landing nearby and going to the closest store and basically saying, hey, let's go help these people uh, as they're cleaning up from this tornado. And that's kind of kind of the history of the culture of Walmart. Um, like a, little, a lot of emergency operations centers, um, ours came out of 9-11. Um, and so after 9-11, there was a, a need, um, a realization of a need to have a coordinated response to disasters. Uh, and the, the first kind of official emergency operations center response was the brownout in 2003. Um, but really what the team did during Hurricane Katrina is, is what kind of brought us um, that permanent EOC status. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Set the context. Hurricane Katrina impacted much of the Gulf Coast region. Uh, I think the New Orleans region got quite a bit of the press, and rightfully so. But uh, it's always important to realize that uh, much of the Gulf Coast region was impacted by Hurricane Katrina. So, talk a little bit about what your response was there. Yeah, I think the response from from for Katrina was amazing. What the teams did, um, and, and really at the store manager level, we had a store manager in, in Waveland, Mississippi. You mentioned outside of New Orleans in Waveland, Mississippi, a store manager that went through what was left of of her store and was handing out uh, shoes to people because people needed something on their feet at the time. Um, it's kind of that ground level organic response that that really was amazing during during the time. Um, the other thing that happened is is we. We saw a need here, and I wasn't here at the Walmart home office yet. I was still a couple of years away from, from me coming in. But what the team saw was a, a need to support in a different way. Um, and so they started lining up trucks of merchandise and, and sending them down uh, towards Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, and I think what, what caught people by surprise was, was Walmart doing it. There was no expectation that we were there to help. Um, and so it, I think it's really easy to exceed expectations when there are no expectations. Um, but what we learned is that what we do every day is move merchandise and we move it well. We have a very large logistics operation. And so we can kind of pivot that during a disaster and use our logistics expertise and our trucks and our drivers and our DCs. And we can still support um, very quickly, um, just like we do every day. 
Oh, that, that's really fascinating. Yeah, so you're you're really leveraging expertise you have as a part of your your company system in a different way, which I think is fascinating. Want to pivot back to the EOC? I, I just want to dig a little bit deeper in the, the into this uh, operation. I mean, how many people are in the EOC? Are there multiple departments that have responsibilities? How many meteorologists or weather related people are there? Yeah, so so we are a really small permanent department. We we run with just about eight to ten um, people within our emergency operations center. Our emergency management team that's a little broader. Uh, it's about twenty five associates, and that includes business continuity and, and preparedness uh, and disaster recovery. So different pieces of the business. Um, but when a disaster happens, when the EOC activates, what we're doing is pulling in uh, experts that know their business very well every day into the emergency operations center. So folks from transportation and logistics and human resources and merchandising, all represented in the EOC, all responding, um, doing what they do best every day. I don't know the first thing about moving a truck. And so we bring in somebody that does that well, um, and we're able to, to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, we need this. And what makes us, I think, really effective is the fact that we have decision makers sitting face to face. We have a little bit of technology, and that's great. Um, but it's people that are standing there um, making decisions and being able to to do things quickly. So if the state of Texas calls us and says, hey, we need 10 truckloads of water for an American Red Cross shelter, we can make that decision quickly and then make it happen quickly. That's that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm curious when we have an event like a, a Hurricane Barry or a, a significant wildfire or a tornadic storm that plows through a part of the Great Plains, are you working in close coordination with the National Weather Service and other government agencies like FEMA in regards to the forecast, or are you kind of wait and see and then we'll respond? No, uh, huge fans of the National Weather Service. Um, so our team, our 24-7 team, uh, every, every shift is looking at uh, products from the National Hurricane Center, Weather Prediction Center, Storm Prediction Center, um, looking at those outlooks. Um, Really, really like what Greg Carbon and the folks at the Weather Prediction Center are doing with some of their kind of medium range um, risk outlooks that they have that they're playing around with right now. Uh, so, so we will absolutely use any and all data available from the National Weather Service. Um, now, frankly, there's some gaps. Um, Weather Service doesn't do a great job of predicting snowfall uh, very far out. So we have to kind of at that point turn to something like the ECMWF to try to help us because we need a few days to move the merchandise and have it ready for our customers. And so uh, at some point we do have to turn to the models instead of the weather service, but we are huge fans of the weather service. Um, also work very closely with FEMA. Um, they have a business emergency operations center that we're plugged into. Um, I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the state emergency operations centers as well. Uh, so anywhere we can plug in, we absolutely will. Let, let's, let's weather geek out here for a second. This is sure. weather geek. So you, you certainly, from your experience, uh, you agree that the European model in terms of snow forecast is uh, really a better bet than perhaps the American model. I know the Weather Service certainly uses all the models as well, but I mean, I, I clearly have noticed some uh, challenges as well on the winter precipitation, but you, you confirm that that's from your experience as well. I think it's hard to beat the ECMWF. I think, um, and it's not just in, in, in snow sometimes. Um, if we go back to, to Hurricane Harvey, when it was kind of in its regeneration stage, um, we weren't getting a lot from the National Hurricane Center. And I understand why. And this is definitely not a dig on them. But I understand why um, we were getting a little bit from the Weather Prediction Center. But I was getting twice daily reports of um, rainfall by stores. And I had, you know, seeing these reports of stores that are expected to get 30 and 35 inches of of rain. Um, and we absolutely looked at that and that caught our attention probably more so 
than some of the um, WPC and NHC products. Have you started to evaluate it all? Yeah, for those that are listening that may not be as sort of weather attentive as, as we are, uh, the American uh, National Weather Service of, of NOAA just recently released its new version of the GFS model. Uh, have you had a chance to evaluate it compared to the European model so far? Oh, I'll, I'll wait for, for the experts to, to do that. I mean, I, I watch it a little bit. I, I have noticed the trend, the downward trend in the kind of the bogus storms at days 10 to 15. Um, but, oh, you mean but, the fantasy canes out in the Gulf of Mexico exactly and other right. places? Yeah. Sure. yeah, I know. And, 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 and the, we're, we're making light of that. But uh, as a listener, you should be careful because there are people out there that will share uh, these 15 and, and beyond out storms that may or may not actually develop. Uh, we, we It's something that we uh, know very well. Getting back to weather events and your response. Uh, you, you mentioned this a little bit, but uh, there's a chain of events that's set in motion for your team uh, when there's an event. Uh, the teams not only respond to disasters when they happen, but also work with local stores to help provide supplies before the storm. And you alluded to that. Are you, you, you're sending people into these regions, I believe you said, how do you coordinate with the stores, with law enforcement officials? Uh, it seems like there are just a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that have to be thought about on the ground in a place like Baton Rouge, if they're just uh, experiencing a flood from a hurricane. Uh, that's inherently what you're doing in the EOC, right? Yeah, you're right. I think one of the most important relationships is that local store manager or local market manager that, that may have responsibility for, say, 10 stores or so. Uh, that relationship and the county emergency management or local law enforcement, um, if we've got a strong relationship there, that'll go a really long way. Um, we can do a lot from, from our EOC in Bentonville, but but that local relationship will, will make a difference, especially in the first few hours when, when it's kind of chaotic and there's no power and not a lot of communication. Um Moving the, the, the coordinated parts, you know, as you, as you go up uh, kind of in the hierarchy of Walmart, we have, um, you know, regional decision makers that will say, hey, this is what I want to do for my stores or, or this is what I want to do instead. Um, we are lucky in our emergency operations center to have pretty good credibility with our store operators. And so the, the store leadership team really trusts what we, what we pass along to them. So if we say we're concerned about this particular event or, or this one, they will typically react to, to what it is that um, we're warning them of. But I think you'll also have, you know, human nature is to kind of wait and prepare at the last minute. And so we do see, you know, um, a, a lot of people heading to the stores at one time to buy bottled water or or milk and bread, as, as people joke about, or eggs or whatever in front of a a winter storm. And so the French um, toast ingredients, I, I, that, I call it yep. the French toast alert. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and so trying to, to predict that behavior is, is a little difficult. You know, sometimes I wish that I could just um, kind of get a sense of what the local TV met was going to, going to pr- predict. And then we would know what our customers would do. Let, let me get your thoughts on something because this is something that I, I, I just talked to uh, Jim Cantori and Stephanie Abrams about this morning on uh, weather channels, AMHQ morning show. Uh, there's this sense about preparedness, and I, I, I've noticed it quite a bit in our society. Uh, people actually will prepare if they hear there's a storm or a hurricane or perhaps a tornado. But then if it doesn't happen or if it's not as bad as people think it should be or if they come back and their house is still standing, it seems at times like people are a little annoyed by that because they had to prepare or, or, or were inconvenienced in some way. Uh, what are your thoughts on this notion that 
people are annoyed if they prepare because you all have to prepare in advance. Sometimes we prepare and the worst doesn't happen. Uh, but that could also be a big messaging challenge for us. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it is. And it's really tough. You're right. Um, I think that as people, um, you know, prepare and, and nothing happens, um, maybe they've got their flashlights and batteries with them and that they're ready, more ready for the next one, I guess. Um, but I think especially this is probably more uh, related to whether somebody takes shelter during a tornado warning um, and nothing happens and what they do the next time or if they evacuate and nothing happens, what do they do the next time? Um, I, I think, honestly, I, I think there's a, a lot that can be done from, from a meteorology standpoint and from a communication standpoint. And, and I think there's also some, some personal responsibility that, you know, hey, I'm going to take this risk. Um, I'm not going to respond or I'm not going to react. And, and that's a risk I'm willing to take. Uh, I am not at all able to, to predict human nature. <laughs> what about I can't predict the weather either. Yeah. Yeah. What about from the corporate side though? Because you know, there may be situations where your EOC or Walmart is gearing up or preparing in advance or, or perhaps uh, sending supplies to a certain area, but it just it didn't end up as bad as it looked like. Are there any, are any bottom line implications from that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's not a bottom line um, implication. It's more of a think about it. If, if we're sending um, a lot of merchandise, a lot of uh, water and flashlights and batteries to a, a community, um, say right around the end of October or early November, um, if we fill those stores back rooms uh, with flashlights and batteries and water, um, they don't have room to take their Christmas inventory on. So if they don't sell through that, then we may have some some opportunities to, to deal with that inventory and that space issue because we want to make sure that we're ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything else that's coming down the line. Um, and, and very back to the beginning of our conversation about the difference between TV meteorology and then working at Walmart is, you know, when you're doing TV, you don't hear from the viewers directly as much. And I was doing TV before social media. Um, I think there was a, a MySpace page out there for me when I was doing TV, but um, I didn't hear back from the viewers as much, but when you're at Walmart um, and you, you make a, a prediction or a statement, um, you have a lot of executives that come back in the next day saying, hey, either good job or what the heck happened there. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and I'm speaking with Lucas McDonald, director of the Emergency Operations Center for Walmart. Uh, I am certain, if you're like me, that there are people listening to this podcast that were like, why is a person from Walmart on Weather Geeks? But I think if you've been listening to this conversation, I think it's perhaps quite evident why. why. And, I, you know, kudos to you, Lucas, and your team and, and to the company for what you're doing. Have your teams improved the company's preparedness and response capabilities? I mean, I, 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 I've got some notes here from the producers about RC view or donating responsibly and social media. Can you talk to those three things? Yeah, so so RC View specifically is a is a program that the American Red Cross has, and that's um, something that Walmart's been very proud to to help uh, 
pass grants along to help the Red Cross build that out. And and that's a RCVU is is uh, working with Esri and and Red Cross shelters um, and other pieces of the Red Cross for them to to make better decisions based on technology and, and GIS. And so using mapping in a way that's not been used before. Um, we're really excited to be a part of that and be able to help them with that. Uh, as you think about the way technology changes, sometimes the, the nonprofits aren't able to keep up as much um, just by nature of being a nonprofit. But I will tell you what the American Red Cross is doing with, with their mapping and their RC view is, is a leader in not just nonprofits, but also in government and in the corporate world. And, and you try to donate responsibly so that the supplies don't end up in landfills or unused. So clearly that sounds like there's a sustainability component as well. People want to do something helpful after disaster. Um, unfortunately, it's just not always the right move. Um, earlier in, in the podcast, you mentioned the Joplin tornado. Um, I was here at Walmart the, at the time um, and had the opportunity a few days after the tornado to go up there. Uh, and look at what was happening. And so you remember the tornado happened at the end of May, um, and the sidewalks were just filled of jeans and sweatshirts and sweaters that people had just donated. Uh, you know, I don't know if they were cleaning out their closet or trying to do something helpful or just not kind of thinking it through, but um, most of what people donate in times of a crisis does end up in a landfill. And so if we can try to help, if we can donate responsibly, um, but we can also help tell that message to, to other people to help them uh, money, you know, money is really helpful. And so if you can, if we can encourage people to donate to the American Red Cross or Salvation Army or other organizations, um, that's much more effective than, you know, a, a pair of jeans. Our customers in the last two years have donated about $45 million um, through our registers and other programs. And that's amazing. And that's, that's the right way to donate to a community. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because that's that's very consistent with what a colleague of mine at the University of Georgia, Dr. Sarah DeYoung, once told me as well. She's she's like people have this inclination to want to have clothing drives and diaper drives and all yep. kinds of things that help the community in times of need. And I think that demonstrates the sort of uh, humanitarian and, uh, and American spirit and you know world spirit for that matter. We're all human beings that want to help others. But the reality is that she said money is the better gift in those situations for the very reasons you said. So that hopefully uh, listeners, as, as we hear that, will kind of take that to heart. Now, speaking of money, Walmart offers assistance and aid through cash grants. Talk to us about that and how do people go about accessing, accessing that if they ever find themselves in a situation uh, where they need one? Yeah, walmart.org uh, is the place to go to, to start that process. Um, what we're doing is, is, especially from a disaster standpoint, if we, if we see a need in, in a community that, that has been impacted, um, we're able to try to, to donate um, cash quickly to those communities to let them get back up on their feet. And sometimes it's, it's through cash, sometimes through a, a Walmart gift card because people really just need to take that card and go into the store uh, and, and get what they need. They need a toothbrush and deodorant and, and underwear, frankly. And so we're able to, to help them get that very quickly. Um, but walmart.org is the place to go to, to start that process. And just to give you some context, in 2017, Walmart and Walmart's foundation supported disaster relief and preparedness efforts with $6.8 million in cash grant grants. So um, certainly uh, putting putting their uh, influence, their money and their um, preparedness uh, expertise back into the community. Talk to me a little bit about how local store associates are able to balance the work they're doing to help others while preparing and recovering themselves. Yeah, associate preparedness is, is really important to us, and, and we have a team here at Walmart dedicated just to that. And so 
um, the better we can prepare our associates and the better they're prepared for a disaster, then um, the quicker they can come back and help that community out. And so um, things like uh, encouraging associate to have a, a disaster supply kit. Um, a lot of the, you mentioned FEMA earlier, a lot of what we do um, is is kind of encourage what FEMA encourages through ready.gov and other uh, websites to, to help our associates just be prepared. Um, a power outage, you know, in most cases is something that um, if you have the right right items in your home, it is really an inconvenience uh, for most people, not for all, for others, it could be much more serious, but for most people, an inconvenience. And if we can prepare you through, you know, flashlights, batteries, uh, cell phone charger, um, that'll, that'll really help you. And, and it takes your stress level down as an associate. Um, and so we do a, a lot. And now there are times where our associates are significantly impacted um, by these disasters. And so in that case, we have a, a couple of different programs where we help our associates through either a cash grant or um, through other types of assistance. Uh, we have a call center that we set up and sometimes our associates just call us and, and want to know where the nearest place to get a Salvation Army meal is. And, and we help them with that. Now, in this last segment, I want to kind of go back to our weather geek out for a moment. So I'm talking with Lucas McDonald of Walmart. You know, disasters happen year round. They take many shapes and forms, if you will. Have you, from your experience or lens there at Walmart the past 12 or so years, are there particular events or particular seasons that are more problematic for you and your operation? Or uh, is that not the case? It's just kind of across the board equal. I'm, I'm curious whether there are different things that just cause you a bit more headache. Yeah, hurricanes, hurricanes are very widespread, right? Um, and so especially if you go back to the hurricanes we had in, in like 11 and 12 with Irene and Sandy that would run the entire coast, um, those hurricanes would impact a lot of our associates and a lot of our operations. And so those those are somewhat problematic, but they're also, um, for the most part, easier to see coming. Uh, and we can prepare for those. Um, we can get out of the way of those. Uh, we had, you know, just recently had the earthquake here in, in Southern California. Um, the earthquake and, and tsunami in, in Japan several years ago, that was a really difficult um, operation for us and a response for us because there were a lot of new factors there. One, it was happening across the world. There was the radiation possibilities. There was a lot that was, um, there were a lot of different factors that went into play there. Um, so I think everyone is different. The Joplin tornado was really only one store, but that was a catastrophic um, event that we responded to there. Uh, and then we also have other things like H1N1 and Ebola and things that you may not always think about. Um, and loosely tied to emergency management sometimes, but um, everything is a response. Lucas, if you were someone's listening, particularly a young college student or perhaps an early career professional that said, wow, what, he sounds like he has a really fascinating job. What advice would you give to them in terms of perhaps how to prepare themselves, what, what to major in in college or how to make the shift if they're thinking about a, a career change to get into sort of a world of what you do? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is, is, is don't plan out your life at, at 15, 20, or 25. Um, you know, I can promise you uh, I never thought I would end up uh, being a Walmart associate. Uh, and, and the day I called my parents to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm going to quit my job at TV and go work at Walmart, I think they were a bit confused. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't be happier with that decision. Um, it's been a fantastic uh, 12 years here, and I hope that there are many more. I think uh, as you're in, uh, uh, somebody that's looking at what your career is going to look at, um, it's good to have a plan, but it's also good to be ready to pivot and to do something different if, if an opportunity comes up. And so you may not, 
you may not think that you're going to uh, go, go work at Walmart or a retailer or an energy company, um, but there are opportunities out there that you may not understand just yet. Yeah, I, I certainly hope the young young listeners take that to heart because that's a message I often convey to students as well. The era of working sort of in TV meteorology or perhaps for the National Weather Service, if you have a background in meteorology or weather, I think it's over. I mean, I think though there's certainly jobs there. Don't get me wrong what I'm saying there. But there are so many other places that need the expertise of meteorologists or people that focus on weather or even just sort of some of the technical or communication skills that we have. In fact, one of the questions I wanted to ask you before, before we uh, end the podcast is, how widespread is this type of operation in corporate America now? I mean, how, I mean, are, are you really unique or sort of unique or fairly common? Um, I would say that we are sort of unique, if I'm using your three categories. Not sure, not and, and you can expand them. <laughs> yeah, but but growing. I, I, I think that you see some of the other major retailers that, that do it um, really well and throw some out there. Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Walgreens have all been a part of this for, for many years. Um, HEB is a fantastic, uh, has a fantastic, fantastic emergency response. Uh, then I think you'll start to see as some of these newer companies, and I say newer, but some of these other companies that are coming online, um, one that, you know, uh, I don't want to mention, but they're, you know, they're named after a, a rainforest or a river in South America. That's <laughs> pretty big. Um, you know, I think you'll see companies like them start to play a bigger role as well. Um, because you're right. It's needed. Um, and think about just from a logistics standpoint, whether, whether we'll continue to get better. I mean, we're not, we're not yet to the doc Brown, um, back to the future part where it's better than the postal service. But I think, um, as you look at the H triple R, and, and other pieces, we're going to start making decisions off of models that we kind of have ignored for the last several years. Yeah, that actually leads me into my last question for you. Uh, if you had a magic wand and you could sort of poof, deliver to yourself, uh, perhaps in one of your Walmart trucks, uh, deliver what you need to make your job easier, some technology, some service, from your lens and your experience, what are you missing to do your job better? Either either someone who's consuming weather information or doing emergency preparedness. Uh, wow! So uh, I could I could speak on this for a whole other podcast, and I'm sure you won't <laughs> well, let me. Oh, we would love to have you back. So, but yeah, just um, give give me a teaser so we can invite you back. Producers, check that down on the list. <laughs> right? No, I appreciate. It. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. But I I think. We, we have a weather data problem, yes, where we need better and better forecasts, but we still have a communications problem. Um, and, and to be able to take that, that forecast that whether it's the, the five hour out from the HRRR or it's the, the 10 days out from the European, and how do we communicate that down into a way that our operators, our customers, our associates are all making meaningful decisions off of that? Um, and so I, I think we still have to communicate because as you very well know, you can give 10 people the exact same forecast and they're all going to hear it a little differently. Um, and so I still think we have to figure out the communication part uh, and then we can worry about the meteorology. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, I often say we're a victim of our own success in meteorology in that we, we get a, some things pretty well these days, uh, hurricanes three to five days out, et cetera. But I, I, I still believe the public as a whole doesn't understand that we're forecasting at different scales. You've mentioned the HRRR a couple of times, which is a, a weather model that we use in the sort of zero to 20 hour time frame or so. Uh, that's very different from the European or GFS model, which is 
looking at sort of longer, larger scale atmospheric patterns, frontal patterns, et cetera, versus these thunderstorms that may pop up on the in, in Bentonville, Arkansas at 4 p.m. this afternoon. And some of the processes, they're just not as predictable because the models, frankly, in some cases don't resolve some of those things. So as someone that's in a geography department at the University of Georgia, we talk a lot about scale. I, I find that communicating forecasts at scale is a big challenge in, in the public sphere. Exactly right. Yeah. Where can people find more information about you, Lucas, or about your operation in terms of websites or social media? Yeah, so walmart.org um, has some information on our disaster response. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Lucas McDonald. Um, you're, you're welcome to, to join me out there on LinkedIn. Um, we and it, you just a Google or a search of Walmart EOC, and you'll see quite a bit of, of what we've done. And I think, you know, we're really excited about the work we've done uh, here at Walmart and helping these communities after disasters. And nobody wants to see a disaster, um, but we know they're not stopping. And so uh, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Well, I want to thank you. This has been, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I hope the listeners have too, because I think it opens up a window, an entire, entirely different world of weather geekdom, if you will. And so I, I really am thankful and, and gracious that you uh, uh, agreed to come on the podcast, Lucas. Absolutely. It's been a great conversation. And a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and thank you for joining us once again on Weather Geeks Podcast. Be sure to subscribe at your favorite podcast outlet, tell a friend about the podcast, and we will talk to you next time on the Weather Geeks Podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.